When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I am Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about the three short stories in the Demigod Files. Not gonna lie, until this morning, I have never opened the Demigod Files before. Yeah, I think I had only ever... I hadn't read them. Turns out I owned them, though, because... What like I've talked about when Mike read Percy Jackson, he really hyperfixated for a bit and like bought everything, mm-hmm. like all of the short stories. So I have all the future ones too, but I hadn't read it. But I had looked up the third story before because when I read House of Hades, and Percy was like, "Ah, oh, yes, my friend Bob," and I was like, "Who is Bob?" And I felt like I was like insane and missing something, so I googled it, and then I like was. Like, I'd read the Wikipedia of it before, so there's that. By the time I got to House of Hades, I think it had been a good couple years since I had read the original, so I totally Mm. believed I just forgot about Bob. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And these are, like, long. (laughs) Yeah, they're quite long. I mean, it's nice that he's given us the supplemental, like, especially for the fans, and it's like, gives Mm -hmm. us a good insight to Percy and his camp and, like, a better relationship with his peers and all that stuff. But I will say, and this is a controversial thought, so oh, um, and I have to take. phrase I have to phrase it correctly because it's n- I'm not in as deep as I am about to say, but I am not a huge fan of fan fiction, mm-hmm. and it's not like I'm against it. I just like me personally have never felt the urge to look up and read fan fiction, and I know mm-hmm. that's that's not true most people especially people who grew up reading like Percy Jackson Harry Potter and like a lot of like that era of like fantasy and just tv shows books and stuff love fan fiction because they get a lot of control over characters that they love I really I I like that I respect that Mm -hmm. but I've never had the urge to be like what is this like unless you like I'm talking with a friend um, or someone who else who really likes the series about like, oh, how do you think that this would have played out like an AU in that way? I'm like, oh, it's interesting to think about. I think based off of the characterization we've been given, it'd be like this and it'd be like one sentence and end. So I had a lot of friends who kept like sending me fan fiction, especially <laughs> in high school. Wait, who was sending? Was I sending you fan fiction? You have sent me fan oh, fiction. No. <laughs> Usually, it's bad fan fiction. But yeah, I do I, like to share the bad ones. I find they're gems. But I have had a couple of different friends, like throughout the years, send me fan fiction, um, being like, "Oh, you like this topic, or you really like this series? Here you go." And for mm-hmm. me, I'm like, oh, the characters outside the author's words don't exist to me, weirdly mm-hmm. enough. It's just how my brain is wired. I don't know. So even the Demigod, the Demigod Files, I was reading it. And even though it's Rick who's writing it, I'm like, I guess. 
It's not structured in the same way. And I was gonna say I was like, is this the ideal fan fiction for you, just written by the author? But apparently not. It doesn't pass the vibe check. It doesn't check. pass the vibe check. I mean it was fine. It was good. I mean that's why even like reading the interview style and stuff like that, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh it's fine. Yeah. But it is very interesting. I do love the idea of fan fiction for especially for young writers to get into yeah. and base themselves off of. I really love it. I love people using uh, fan fiction to hone in their writing skills and also just like the imagination that it takes because I, I do see like when I like a TV show or a movie or something like that, I like looking up like background stories on how it was made, mm. a little bit more of, like, the director's insight, like, even, like, reading the author's biography and, like, what he was trying to do when he wrote the series, stuff like that. And I love discussing it after, which is why we have the mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I love fan fiction, but I'm also, like, not a typical fan fiction reader and that I'm really, really picky about what I read. Like, in the sense that I will only read things that are, like, very much plausible to have happened in canon. Like, I'm also very, like, kind of nitpicky about, like, the the sacred text of the, of the work. Even if I don't like what happened in the work, I want it to still be canon compliant. It's, I don't know why. I feel like my brain just is, like, it can't, I, I want to believe when I read fan fiction that it, like, actually happened in the universe, and if it's, mm-hmm. like, counter to something that happened in the book or the movie or whatever, then it's hard for me to suspend my belief. Maybe I'm just, like, not fun enough. I think, I think that's, for me, it's definitely that I'm not fun enough. Because, like, <laughs> I have, a, like, my friend and stuff who has read, like, they love, like, AU stuff. So, like, mm. specific characters in a TV show that may not have gotten the happy ending that they want is written in a totally different story. AU coffee shop meetup with breakup. And whereas, mm. like, their original story is, like, The Hundred, where it's, like, dystopian. Yeah. No coffee. You know what I mean? And I get that. Yeah, yeah. I've read I've read an AU coffee shop one yeah. or two. They're, they're, they're entertaining, I guess. The reason I started thinking about fan fiction a lot more too is because um, I've noticed a lot of authors these days taking their fan like it's based off of a fanfic ship, and they're mar- they 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 it's good enough I guess or they they have an audience enough or whatever they change the names a little bit change the characters and they just like you know put it out as a book. Yeah. Ah, oh, yes. Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> and the, uh, the after books. Oh, yeah. But, like, people, I, I feel like back in the, back in the day, makes me sound Back so in the old. day. Back in the day, authors would never have disclosed that it was originally a fanfic. Now yeah. they're marketing it as this was originally a fan. And it gets, it's a great marketing skill. Because it's like, it is. hey, you can insert, I'm not explicitly saying because of copyright laws, but you can insert your ship into this book mm-hmm. and you can see the similarities and it makes for someone who enjoys that ship very enjoyable yeah and I like it too because it's like something I don't know how we got on this topic I'm it's so sorry that, like, <laughs> it's something that's like always been done like just not explicitly like there I very much believe that there's there are new ideas but like you know it's there's a lot of recite everything is kind of recycled whether that's from life or from other stories that they that a person likes and like it's totally you know like like artists steal ideas that's very common oh yeah 
I mean, not like, single... you know, don't plagiarize, but no. like you, people get inspired by pieces of work and then do their own and let it inspire their own work. And that's like cool and great. And the like weird, weird stigma against fan fiction is just kind of like odd because all writing is fan fiction in a weird way. I once made a bold statement that I think that Christmas, the hall, the story of Santa Claus is Christianity fan fiction. And I stand by that. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every single Camelot story is fan fiction because they took the original yeah. work of uh, King Arthur and everyone was like, this is so good. I need more of it. And just like made their own stories and... There's so many, like, The Knight in the Cart. Like, there's so many stories of King Arthur and uh, Lancelot that have, like, nothing to do with the original story. Yeah, and, like, Percy Jackson is kind of, like, Greek mythology fan fiction. Yeah. I guess my whole, the beginning of this, um, the way, the stance I wanted to take, and um, I will have to come to my, in my, in conclusion, have to say my thesis is basically that I really enjoy the idea of fan fiction I think I respect fan fiction a lot more than uh, I used to but I've never I didn't grow up reading fan fiction and I've never been someone who goes to fan fiction when something feels incomplete I just stew in unhappiness if I think a piece of art doesn't satisfy me in the way that I hoped it would I mean, that's probably good for you. There were definitely, like, things I was scarred by from (laughs) fanfiction.net when they didn't have, like, a filtering option. I don't even Mm. know if they do now. I don't use it. But I was definitely scarred by some things as a youth, so. (laughs) (laughs) For those, I know a lot of our uh, listeners um, read fanfiction. Please tell us a story of your favorite fanfiction or, like, a a time fanfiction has scarred you. I really want to know. Oh, yeah. I yeah. love I love talking about the worst ones you found. They, they're they so good. Anyway, completely off topic. Switch it. Well, I guess we can, we can um, do a little segue because this is like Rick's fanfiction of his own work, right? Yes, yes. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the demigod, I mean, I don't know if everyone has read these that's listening. I know, like, we hadn't read them before, and they're also, like, another book you have to buy. So if you haven't read them, that's totally okay. We will we will be your Wikipedia for it. And, like, maybe teachers say not to trust Wikipedia. That was back a, in the day, before they understood the algorithms. They're true. Wrong. But also, like, maybe you shouldn't trust us. I don't know. Oh, yeah, don't but, trust us. <laughs> don't trust us. But these are, like, um... It's a collection of, like, three short stories, and then there's also, like, interviews and maps and interactive stuff, and the stories all are supposed to take place between books four and five, which feels kind of funny to read after, like, knowing the events of five and thinking, like, oh, all these happened in between, and some of it doesn't really match up, in my opinion, but, you know. I want to take a moment to shout out Nicholas. They emailed us, and basically it was like, hey, we'd love to see an episode on the like the companion books and I was like oh my god I forgot about the companion books and I like talked to Aaron about it and so that's how this episode was born so thanks Nicholas woo amazing okay should we dive into this first one (laughs) let's dive in okay so story number one is called Percy Jackson and the Stolen Chariot I will say the most fun part, I think, about these stories is there are a lot of, like, random Greek myths built into them that are not in the other book. Like, obviously, they're, like, in the universe, but they aren't explicitly mentioned. So 
that's exciting. A little more learning for us. So our first story here begins as many of the Percy Jackson books also begin with Percy in school, interrupted by something Greek. So he's in like fifth period science class and he spies a familiar face in the alleyway. It's Clarice with her sword drawn, hacking at a flock of black birds that shoot their feathers at her like arrows, which I think sounds like my personal nightmare. (laughs) He then sneaks out of class to go and help her and together they hack the birds to feathers. Naturally, Clarice is like, I don't need your help after Percy has just helped her. And she denies needing or wanting his help and tries to leave. But Percy, naturally being Percy, follows after her and is like, crying about the birds like what's going on he's just like being an annoying sibling and she's sufficiently annoyed by percy and so she finally tells him that it's her brothers playing a prank on her but it's not just any brothers not like any fellow campers it is her immortal brothers phobos and demos so manasa this is a new fun greek myth tell me about these these buddies these pals of mine (laughs) They're the gods of fear, Phobos and Nemos. Um, also, for my space nerds out there, they are the moons of Mars, which is funny because they are the sons of Aries, and, you know, Mars is Aries in Roman form. Demos represents terror and dread. Phobos represents panic, flight, and rout. They're the sons of Aries and Aphrodite, so they represent, on their mom's side, they represent fear and loss, because, like, love has to have a sense of fear, too, right? Which I thought was super interesting because I was like, oh, yeah, like, there's, like, rage and there's love, but they're actually not that different from each other, which is why Aries and Aphrodite pair so well together. Mm-hmm. They were said to ride with their father into battle and just ruin everyone's day. Nice. What fun guys to have around. I know. Love to have as siblings? Wow. I'm so lucky. Wow. The best possible siblings she could have. <laughs> So Clarice tells Percy that, long story short, Ares let her take his war chariot as a test, and she's supposed to bring it back by sunset, but her brothers Phobos and Demos stole it, basically because they suck, and they sent those weird birds after her to, like, chase her away. And Clarice needs to find the chariot to pass this test and bring it back to Ares's temple, which is like a weird military base thing, <laughs> in order to avoid the wrath of Ares. And Percy, being Percy, is like, I'll help you, pal, even though they're not pals. So then Phobos shows up, and he appears as a teenage dude with ratty jeans, a black t-shirt and a leather jacket, and a bandana, which I was like, oh yes, a thug. (laughs) It kind of sounds like they read or watched West Side Story and were like, this is how they dress, right? Or Grease. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) I'm like, this is definitely what, like, a... A, f- a middle-aged white man thinks a thug is like <laughs> leather jacket. <laughs> Phobos has the ability to show people exactly what they fear, which he does to Clarice and freaks her out. But obviously, we're in Percy's head, so we don't see what that is. And he threatens to do it to Percy too. Phobos says that if they want the chariot, it's across the ro- water, quote, where the little animals live. And then he disappears. Which, like, if he really wanted to win, he shouldn't have told them where it was, given mm. them a hint. Seems a little weird to me. Clarice and Percy then take the subway to go get the chariot. um, And she tells him all about my two closest life companions, Fear and Terror, (laughs) aka Phobos and Deimos. She explains that Deimos in this universe is bigger. He's like the worldly terror, whereas Phobos is personal fear. 
And they're especially mad at Clarice because on top of being jerks, they're also sexist. Mm -hmm. Usually the war chariot is just for Ares' son, so they're like really mad that Ares gave it to his daughter. And they head towards Staten Island because the only place Percy can think of that has little animals is a small zoo. Which is not like a pet store or even just like a farm. Nope. He's like, it's the zoo with the petting. I don't know. It the logic doesn't I don't follow it, but I trust the it's demigod. Percy logic, yeah. Yeah, Percy logic always gets us where we need to be. In a weird way. So they take the ferry heading over towards the island, and the ferry hits a rock and a large serpent erupts from the water. It's Demos riding on a giant crocodile monster. Percy and Clarice abandon ship, and Percy uses his water bending to burst out of the water on top of a 30-foot-high water spout, and then head back towards the monster. Percy slashes at the monster and kills it, but Demos gets away. Percy uses the waves to carry them the rest of the way to Staten Island, and they head towards the zoo. So at the zoo, Clarice spots the chariot, which I'm like, again, this worked out so well. Percy's weird logic was like, oh, I guess the petting zoo. And he was right. It's between the petting zoo and the sea otter pond. It's golden and red and tethered to four black horses covered in pictures of people dying gruesome deaths. And also the horses breathe fire, <laughs> which is fun. As Clarice approaches the chariot, Phobos and Demos appear inside of it and the battle is on. They drive the chariot after Clarice and Percy and barrel through exhibits. Clarice is able to jump on Demos while Percy has to face Phobos. Percy runs through the rooms of the fish tank exhibits to surround himself with water so that he's at his most powerful. But this doesn't stop Phobos from showing him his fears. So we get a little cutscene to Percy's worst fear. He sees himself at Camp Half-Blood and everything is on fire and in ruins. Annabeth Grover and all the other campers are crying at his knees, begging him to save them and make a choice, which is referring to the choice that Percy thought at this time he was destined to make because of the prophecy. He's paralyzed with fear, unable to move, but snaps out of it because basically the fish just scream at him. So it was a good move to go into that fish tank. Percy stabs Phobos, backs him into a corner, and goes full son of the sea god mode and demands that he stay out of Clarice's way. Then, because Percy is just, like, a little shit, he hops on Ares' motorcycle, which, like, Phobos had been using, and is, like, drives off to Clarice, drives the whole, like, few feet over to the other exhibit. (laughs) So Percy finds Demos and Clarice near the petting zoo, but Demos has changed form. He's Ares now, and he's telling Clarice that she's failed him again. Percy yells to Clarice that it's an illusion, and Clarice wills herself to stand up to Demos slash Ares and stabs him. They avert their eyes as he explodes into his godly form and then disappears. So they get the chariot, they make it to Ares' temple with the chariot on time, which is Pier 86, which is like some weapons base. I don't know, I don't live in New York. Percy promises not to tell anybody about what he saw with Ares telling Clarice, like basically Clarice's worst fear. And to be even, he tells Clarice what Phobos made him see, his worst fears about camp burning and all his friends pleading for help. Clarice asks, Percy, when you, uh, had that vision about your friend, you were one of them, Percy says back. Just don't tell anybody, okay? Or I'd have to kill you. And that's the end of that little- that story's pretty short. That's the end of that. My thought- is that it's kind of ruined by the fact that Clarice sucks so much in the fifth book. <laughs> She's so bad. She does not care. She's like, we're friends, and then just like, die. I don't care. My pride is ruined. 
Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, if she had this nice friendship moment, she clearly learned nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the fact that, like, she sees, I don't know, she's clearly in it enough to see the kind of, like, over-ego and ridiculousness that Ares has, and she despises him for it because he's a shit father. And then she turns Mm -hmm. around and does the same thing again to her own friends, like, her own family. Garbage. Yeah, I've... I wonder, was this published? I think it was published in between the two. That's actually a good question. I'm going to check. Because it feels, like, this story feels like it doesn't really make sense with the events of the fifth book. Right? A lot of these stories are, I mean, a lot of these stories break my heart in general. So this came out a couple months before the last Olympian. Like, it came out February and the last Olympian came out in May. 2009? Oh my god. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's been... Oh, it's been over 10 years. But yeah, it just feels a little bit like it's a nice friendship moment. And as a standalone, I really like it. But I think the fact that I just read the fifth book makes me like frustrated by the fact that Clary seems to learn nothing from it. Like she's like, like, she doesn't really seem to care about people dying for her in the next. But she is like sympathizing with Percy here for seeing Camp Burning and all his friends dying. It's a little confusing, but you know, we all got issues. Clary, she has She's a lot. like, hey, I know your worst fear and I'm going to help make it come true. <laughs> and that's on friendship. <laughs> She's like, that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. All right. Are you ready for my story? I am. This story is, like, extra depressing, especially taking into account mm-hmm. uh, book five. So here we go. Story two, Percy Jackson yeah. and the Bronze Dragon. So this story takes place two weeks after Percy's last quest, which I believe was the Battle of the Labyrinth, right? So he's still mm-hmm. at camp, yeah. and there's some tension at camp because the blue team, led by Hephaestus's cabin, teamed with Hermes and Percy, Hermes' cabin and Percy, captured the flag from Ares' cabin, beat them for the first time, like, ever. So obviously Ares, uh, the red team, Ares' cabin, Athena's cabin, and Aphrodite's cabin are out for blood. Now, out for revenge, we have this story where Annabeth is on the opposite team, being Athena's daughter, and is fully flirting with Percy while he's like getting ready and it's so stupid it's also very interesting because like the tension that existed in the fourth book that's why I got really confused that this was between the fourth and fifth book this feels like it's more between the third same I found this one confusing too and I it made me like am I missing some but when I when I looked it up online it said they're all supposed to take place between the fourth and fifth but this feels like it's between the third and fourth it's weird but like in the or maybe it's because it's like annabeth it seems like annabeth forgot about rachel (laughs) right completely she's in such a good mood she's been bouncing around she's been just like shining with joy for the last couple of days um and she comes over to percy and is calls him seaweed brain and he's like can you stop calling me that and she goes oh you know you love it which is full flirting. Like she's like oh, twirling yeah. her hair as she says it. She skips away from him. And he's mad at her because he's stupid. He's like, oh, that's an insult. I'm like, <laughs> dumbest man alive. Um, but he does acknowledge. He's like, you know, it's really hard to look good in battle armor, which I disagree. But somehow she looks right. really good. Yeah. 
Uh, and she actually flirts with him some more, too. And he's like, these are fighting words because <laughs> he's dumb. <laughs> she bounces away and Beckendorf comes over and he tells Percy that Annabeth likes him and he should ask her to watch the fireworks later. They have like a fireworks display thing that apparently like that's like the it's like homecoming it's like the event to ask a date oh it's very cute and percy thinks about it because beckendorf is older he's 18 he's like really hot according to percy what percy is like mm-hmm. describing his muscles for like three sentences percy's like hey beckendorf would you actually want to watch <laughs> the fireworks with me like is Drilling that what's going on here yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, he's like, oh, Beckendorf's 18. He recently got into NYU. He's like a much like cool, everyone likes him. He's a lot cooler than me. Like maybe he is wiser and I should listen to him. But then uh, Selena, whom everybody knows Beckendorf has had a huge, obvious crush on for the last three years, comes over, calls him Charlie and wishes him luck. And Beckendorf forgets how to breathe. And Percy is like, actually, I think you're stupid like me and you don't have any knowledge to give me. And so he's like, let's go and let the games begin. Mm-hmm. Beckendorf and Percy get the most dangerous job scouting the left flank, which is so funny how they decide this is because Percy's like, Annabeth made some comment of like how I should go for the right flank. So I'm going to pull a fast one on her and go left because she obviously <laughs> doesn't want me to go that way. And I was like, the daughter of Athena at this strategist is you know obviously gonna fall for, i don't he's so stupid like god oh, and beckendorf is like yeah you're right that's a good thing. <laughs> like, i love one this brain thing. I, I love it Beck- beckendorf has made them chameleon armor that blends into their backgrounds and they move through the trees Beckendorf finds it odd that there are no border guards and it's kind of sets off some alarm bells but percy's like no my plan is foolproof <laughs> As they move closer, they find the anthill. Now, this is a specific Greek anthill. It's about four stories tall with tunnels crawling with ants the size of German shepherds. Apparently, these ants love shiny metal, and most of them are carrying bits of scraps and old weapons in their hive. They spit poison, and they're very aggressive, and everyone is afraid of them. I'm just like, how has nobody noticed this giant anthill? Like, Percy's like, oh, I've heard stories about this existing. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm sure it's like, it probably took you a max of five minutes to find this. I'm sure everyone runs into this all the time. And the ants must be all over camp if they're a huge-ass hive here. Anyway. And they're that big? That's terrifying. Ants are really mean. They're very scary. Like, bugs they rip like- each other to shreds. Bugs Life, like, very oh, yeah. much painted mm-hmm. them as, like, the victim. But the reality is that this is an anti-ant podcast <laughs> bugs life lied to us the bugs life they're not cute um as some of my friends have controversially called a f- uh, flint hot which okay, is like that's uncomfortable. me that's <laughs> I me i want to call you out for it because it's embarrassing aaron some of my friends that's <laughs> namely me i stand by it i had a crush on flick and you know what flick, he's that's cute okay. flick the bug? The animated yeah. bug man? He's cute, you know? Okay. okay. I like, let's imagine this anthill as the bug's life ants. Just <laughs> for a minute. They're spewing poisonous venom. I don't know, Acid. maybe. I mean, maybe humans are the cockroach dudes from those movies. The grasshoppers? Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're too busy focusing on your man to notice the staring at that nice, shiny blue ant. Oh, God. (laughs) Why are they blue and purple? So that they're colorful for the children, and so the grasshoppers are brown, because brown is a dirty color, isn't it, Erin? Wow, this is a racist movie. Not Not only does it portray ants... In a, a, a positive false light. light. Yeah, it's false. <laughs> but it's also racist. <laughs> okay, we'll just leave that unhinged rant over there and continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Beckendorf and Percy make the good decision to just like back away and leave and not bother the anthill. But then they notice two ants dragging the head of a golden dragon. Beckendorf says that they have to go get the head before the ants drag it into the hill because it's a sign from Hephaestus. Percy's about to go fall. Be- Beckendorf just takes off. He just goes straight for these <laughs> killer ants the size of German shepherds. He's like, I got this. Maybe he likes Flick and Ada too, you know? To kill them? No. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Stop Maybe. trying to defend your weird opinion. <laughs> Percy's about to go follow when he feels a knife press against his neck. Annabeth is revealed to have been invisible the whole time, and even Selena's there following them. And I was like, surprise, you fell for my not very well hidden trap, you idiot. (laughs) Annabeth tries to take Percy prisoner, but he points out what Beckendorf is doing. Beckendorf has gone to attack the ants, unaware of Selena and Annabeth, but the ants spray poison at him, and when he goes down, more swarm. Percy and Selina try to go get him, but Annabeth says it's too late and goes for the dragon head instead. Annabeth states that those ants are too much for the three of them to take on, so they need a lot more help, and she needs to get the head back. Selina is reluctant, but Percy, who knows Annabeth better, follows her plan. Annabeth is not a great communicator, so she mm. comes off across like a very like cold, mean person in this, where she's like, it's too late for him, like leave him. Uh, we need to get what's valuable, which is actually the dragon head. And Beckendorf is like screaming in agony and getting dragged away by ants <laughs> in the corner. And she's like playing with a dragon head. Like, I agree. I would also do this in this situation. But Selena's like sobbing and she's like, we have to go get him. He's dying. And Annabeth's like, nah. This story is honestly really funny. It's like, really this funny. This really fun. <laughs> um, it's especially funny because it I, made me think of just one of my notes is Percy is also a little bit off put because he's a loyal person so his first instinct is to throw his body he's like very self-sacrificial at Beckendorf and like protect him also because he thinks Beckendorf's hot but like (laughs) he knows Annabeth he's gotten four books to really get to know her and he really likes her and he knows deep like at her core she's a good person so she has to have a reason for doing everything that she does which made me think before Percy, I'm sure Annabeth was spewing a lot of this information, same attitude as she has now, but like nobody, she had, didn't have any friends. So no one took the time to just see that at the core, she actually did have a good idea. She just comes across as a complete bitch. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think that's very accurate. So Annabeth actually knows that they have about half an hour before the ants kill Beckendorf. They just kind of hold him in their uh, little house nest and um, they'll come eat him in half an hour. I was like, okay. She's like, I've done, re- I've read about them. And I'm like, if it's information to these ant- about these ants that are swarming your camp and they live like 10 meters away from you, uh, is available readily, why would you not read it? Why has nobody else read it? I know. 
They don't have enough time to go gather the troops. This okay, the timing in this book is so funny, by the way. Yeah. So it's they like, totally okay, could have. How far did they get? Like <laughs> they have half an hour. I just wanted to remind so half an hour and in the series of events that follow, it's like this all happens in the span of half an hour with time sometimes to spare. But mm-hmm. Percy's like time moved so slowly. <laughs> like it's been <laughs> ten minutes, buddy. <laughs> She's like, we don't have enough time to actually go gather everyone. Everyone's separated and hiding because of Capture the Flag. They might not believe us when we say there's actually an emergency. And also, even camp might not be strong enough to take on the ants. Um, Instead, what she wants to do is fix the dragon. This dragon is a legendary guardian of the camp who's an automaton. This is a Festus, right? Yes. From Heroes of Olympus? Yeah. Okay. But, like, I think that they redo him. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. In Heroes of... Yeah. So, um, it was created by the Hephaestus cabin as a blessing from their dad and kept the camp safe for over a decade. But 15 years ago, it was it walked into the forest never to be seen again. Annabeth thinks the body must be buried somewhere close. So they just need to re- reassemble it and get it to help them. Which I think is hilarious. Annabeth's like, this is the most logical plan. None of us have ever dealt with automatons or welding or wires before. Um, I think it's too much work to go communicate our feelings to our siblings and our friends. Um, we have 30 minutes to do this. How hard can it be? Yeah, like, also, isn't there, like, a river in there? Like, Percy could use water power and send Just them, like... drown the ants? <laughs> oh, well, that, too. I was going to say, like, send a message to everyone with water. <laughs> but we could also just, just drown, drown the ants. The ants. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> They search and Percy starts, he's like panicked the whole time because every second feels like it's like been a thousand years for him. But they come across a crater with a dragon's body buried in it. And they come to the conclusion that Hephaestus sent a blast to unearth dragon because he's like, it's time that the camp needed their defense. Which is insane. That is the one good thing any god has ever done for the camp. Yeah. And it's a pretty big one too. Yeah. I was like, is Hephaestus the best parent like the bar is so like low but still we say that anytime one of the parents does something good we're like is Dionysus the best is Hephaestus the best Dionysus <laughs> the and so Hephaestus low. are the best parents and if the yeah. bar is so low it's underground like they're limboing under it like over it or like whatever you know yeah what I'm yeah. yeah I got you anyway <clears throat> Uh, they don't know how to reassemble the dragon, and Percy's like, aren't you the daughter of, uh, invention? Like, Athena's, like, the goddess of invention, and Annabeth's inventing ideas, not actual things. I'm like, you're useless, then. (laughs) Percy then blurts out, if I was going to pick one person to reattach my head, I'd pick you, which embarrasses everyone in the room. Pure (laughs) romance. weird thing to say, but it gives Annabeth the courage to start putting it together. By the what time a they, line. I know he just like screams it at her essentially, <laughs> panic yells. <laughs> By the time they finished, Percy guesses that they had about five to ten minutes before Beckendorf was dead. So they found and assembled this dragon in the span of like fifteen to twenty minutes. <laughs> hmm. I was like, "That's incredible!" <laughs> yeah, you go, Annabeth. <laughs> I know. They turn on the dragon and it pulls itself out of the dirt and starts walking away. Selena yells at it and commands it to help Beckendorf. The tri- trio show that it's a, the, the dragon is super not well done. Nanabeth yeah. has done a scrappy job. She's done the best that she could. The dragon is very unhinged and kind of like <laughs> wonky. So they're like, what are we going to do with this? But um, 
they have to like literally point the dragon towards Beckendorf. They're like, Beckendorf, son of Hephaestus, like do something about it. And the dragon seems to be following them, um, but they're running because the dragon also seems to be chasing them. So who knows? <laughs> the de- the ants immediately come over and attack the giant bronze dragon because they sense it's coming here. It's a big threat and it's metal. So it's like all the things that they love and hate. And while they're busy attacking, Selena leads the charge to go and save Beckendorf. Percy's like, this is the first time I've ever seen, like, had a battle led by a child of Aphrodite. I'm like, we have one more time that happens. (laughs) Oh, oh, (laughs) Monosad. Each of, they go into the cave and the cave of the ant, although I guess it's the hive. No, it's the hill. The hill of the the ant hill Mm -hmm. is covered in jewelry and magical items and just like gold that stop both Annabeth and Percy in their tracks. But Selena doesn't give a shit, which is, Percy says, the second time in his life he's been stunned because a child of Aphrodite not caring about jewelry is like unheard of. And I'm like, because she loves Meckendorf and they live happily ever after. Yeah, you're so right. (laughs) Thank you. Alive and well with no Mm -hmm. betrayals. Anyway. Never. They finally find Beckendorf, who is scared and paralyzed. They hoist him up and start escaping. The dragon, uncalibrated and quite wonky, is tearing apart the anthill. The ants are taking it down, and a couple of them even go after the group as well. Beckendorf, with the urging of Selina, activates its emergency defense, and the dragon starts charging after them. It's like, it's, he's, uh, Beckendorf's like, you put it together, like, it needs to be calibrated, it needs to have a lot of tests done, you need to debug it before you even turn an automaton on and if it like a a, a, a automaton like this which hasn't been taken care of in like 15 years minimum tend to go completely haywire they they become feral and Annabeth's like (laughs) I didn't know any of this (laughs) just like what do you want me to do I love the idea of a a feral metal dragon (laughs) Percy's like this is my new friend it's my pet Annabeth's like this is my son yeah Yeah, Annabeth's like I made it They're running away and Beckendorf tells them to go to the base of the cliff and distract the dragon so he can turn it off. Percy distracts it while Beckendorf jumps on top of the dragon and turns it off. Selina and Annabeth fuss over their respective boys and they decide it would be very worth it to have the dragons fixed up and protect the camp from Kronos. Clearly it was a gift from Hephaestus. Selina tells But they Beckend- like don't do that. They do. It's right? snoozing like, and it's protecting the camp starting oh, the fifth yeah. book. Yeah. And Percy just oh, never explains it. and the whole it. thing in Heroes of Olympus is that it starts going haywire without Beckendorf. Yeah. Mm. Remembering things. Yeah. It's like grieving his death because we all It's are. valid. Yeah. Selina tells Beckendorf that turning off the dragon was the bravest thing she's ever seen. Beckendorf then asks Selina to go to the fireworks with him, who then responds, Of course, you big dummy, I thought you'd never ask. And the two of them walk in front, hand in hand. Percy, on the other hand, has to lean on Annabeth because the acid has eaten through his shoe, and he's annoyed that he's not brave enough, <laughs> like brave as brave as Beckendorf, to asking out the girl he likes. He's just like grumbling to himself, and Annabeth, who he's like hoisting this boy, says that she disagrees with Selina. Beckendorf fighting the dragon wasn't the bravest thing she's ever seen. She thinks it was actually Percy choosing to distract it. Percy not Ooh. taking the. I know. I was like, Oof, what such a flirt. A- she's actually very forward, and Percy responds and be like, actually, it was really stupid of me. You should not encourage <laughs> me to do these things. <laughs> 
Percy's about to ask Annabeth to go to the fireworks with him. He's like working up the courage. They're like locked eye and eye when her siblings jump out of the bushes. And they say, capture the flag isn't over. Like you almost died. Beckendorf is paralyzed. Guess what? We're still playing this game. Percy and Beckendorf are now their prisoners. Annabeth's siblings tell them, good job on distracting them. And Percy's shocked. Annabeth turns to him and like smiles. And he's like, you're my prisoner now. And Percy asks if the whole thing has been planned. And Annabeth's like, of course not. How could we have known all of this was going to happen? And Percy is completely unconvinced that Annabeth couldn't. <laughs> he's like, you're a witch. You clearly am so smart. You predicted every single moment that has happened. <laughs> And Annabeth and Selena are having the time of their lives. Annabeth puts Percy in prison and says, see you at the fireworks, not even waiting for a response. Percy asks Beckendorf if he just got asked out. And Beckendorf, just as dazed and confused as he is, doesn't have an answer. They sit in prison while the girls win the game. I love it. That story's so cute. There are things that don't make sense to me because, at like, all. didn't Percy still like Rachel at this point? I don't know. <laughs> Wasn't he not aware that he liked Annabeth yet? I don't know. It feels like it would make a lot more, but the, obviously, between the Titan's Curse and Battle of the Labyrinth, mm. it was in summer. Unless this is right before the Battle of the Labyrinth. I would be into that idea. That would make a lot of sense because, like, Annabeth fully and openly... But that doesn't also make sense because, like, doesn't the Battle of the Labyrinth start out with Percy in school? Yes. Yeah. Okay, the, Okay. I found it on Rick Riordan's mytholo- mythological universe timeline. The Bronze Dragon takes place... Oh, so it's... The, the fireworks are 4th of July. So it takes place... Like, the end of June, early July. Okay, and when is that in, like, the books? So, June to August is the Battle of the Labyrinth, but July 4th is the Bronze Dragon. So, it takes so place after during the battle. the battle of the Labyrinth. But what quest is he referring to? He's talking about the Battle of the Labyrinth. That's his last quest. Which is so weird. Annabeth is so mad at him after the Battle of the Labyrinth. I feel so confused. That's what's really confusing. And I feel like I'm missing something. Like, someone's gonna email us or DM us and be like, actually, you're all so wrong. And I'm gonna be like, thank you. That makes much more sense. Yeah, please do. Also, Rick is known for messing up timelines a lot, so. Yeah. Yeah, and and Stolen Chariot, the one that came first in the book, which is kind of odd, is supposed to take place sometime, like, fall fall of that year after this these events of the Bronze Dragon. And then the next story, The Sword of Hades, takes place, like, winter of that year. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, Rick, answer our questions. <laughs> you know, I mean, my overall thought was, like, this made me very, 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 very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, because of Selena Beckendorf and thinking about how Selena was the spy and she finally mm-hmm. finds the boy who's like she likes and loves and and not knowing that her future actions are gonna lead to his death and also her own and it's very depressing to me. <clears throat> I was like crying a little bit every time I was reading this. I was like, Stop telling me information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, then we can move on to the third and final story, which was so long that I I was like, oh, it must be done. And then it kept going. So mm-hmm. I tried to sum it up as best I could. 
Yes, and this is the important one, the one that actually introduces up. So story number three, Percy Jackson and the Sword of Hades. So it is the holiday season, and Percy somehow finds himself in the underworld. So we open up the story once again with Percy in school, interrupted by something Greek, except this time it's Mrs. O'Leary. Percy ditches school and follows after Mrs. O'Leary, who leads him to the Upper East Side to a golden deer. And following that deer is none other than our girl Talia. Percy and Talia comment, they're like, that's weird that we're both here at the same time, must be a god's doing, and leading them to the same place at once. And then the golden deer shimmers and disappears, and like a dark cloud passes over the sun, and a patch of darkness appears, and then Nico tumbles out. <laughs> Talia gets like a, a golden deer, Percy gets like a scary looking dog, and Nico's like, <laughs> tumbles off from the darkness. Just like those are the three three styles that's their vibes that's their vibes i feel like Nick, nico though gets just gets screwed over like he didn't mean to end up there he's like i was trying to shadow travel and i somehow ended up here it's important nico okay so they're like this is weird three children of the big three all in one place something must be off and then the ground begins to rumble opens up and nico talia and percy all fall into darkness when they finally hit the bottom, they're in the underworld in Persephone's garden. Persephone herself greets them and reveals that she was the one who sent the deer and Mrs. O'Leary to come and lure them all to the underworld. Hades, according to her, Hades has a problem and he needs their help. But notably, she's Hades isn't involved in this at all. She's <laughs> doing all the work, which at first I was like, that seems unfair, but there's a reason. Turns out Hades has been forging a new weapon. He's been forging a sword without... Zeus's permission. I was like, insurrection. That's good. <laughs> to prepare for the war with the Titans. You know, the war that Hades is not planning to fight in. Famously. Persephone tells them, yeah, tells them that one of Hades' keys has been set in the sword. Hades' keys have the power to lock or unlock death, meaning that the wielder of the sword could slay any living thing and send its soul to the underworld with just the tip of a blade. So it's the ultimate death weapon, and of course Hades lost it. <laughs> Or someone lost it. It got lost. <laughs> the sword was stolen when it was almost finished from the forges, and Persephone suspects that some servant of Kronos stole it. Hades used his other keys, because apparently he just has a lot of these death keys sitting around, um, and he used them to shut down the underworld so that nobody can leave, so whoever stole the sword is stuck somewhere in the underworld. Persephone has assembled the Avengers, aka Nico Persentalia, because if they restore the sword to Hades, it will give it will send a message to Olympus, she thinks. Because Zeus and Poseidon can't protest Hades' new weapon if it was given to him by their children. Which, to which I was like, that's not good logic. They would still protest. Yeah, they don't, they don't care. care. <laughs> yeah. Percy and Talia are like, uh, no, we don't want Hades to have this new weapon. It sounds bad. But Nico begrudgingly is like, I gotta do it. Hades is my dad, and he'd rather Hades have the sword than Kronos. Persephone then gives them a magical flower that will guide them. It always faces the thief, and if the person gets closer to escaping, the petals start to fall off, and if the flower dies, it means they've failed. Percy glances at Nico and can tell that Nico's going to do it no matter what because he wants to impress his dad. And Percy's like, I understand having daddy issues. I know that feeling. So he agrees to help on the condition that Hades swears on the river Styx that he will never use the sword against the gods. Which I found kind of funny here because then we know a few months later, Nico 
forgets to make ladies swear on the river sticks about like the deal with like not harming Percy. Yeah. So Nico clearly wasn't listening here <laughs> to Percy's example. So Nico, Tally, and Percy set off to find the sword. They walk through the field of Asphodel. The crowds just kind of part for Nico, which is super cool. And Percy notes that Talia seems to be looking for someone. At first, he thinks it's Bianca. And then he remembers that Talia's mom also died. And he just, like, notes that Talia is distraught. They move on to the fields of punishment and spot someone who can potentially help them out. Uh, someone they refer to as the number one expert on cheating death. It's Sisyphus. Monsa, tell me, tell, tell me and the listeners a bit about Sisyphus. Sisyphus is known in Greek mythology as just like a super crafty dude. His personality and story kind of changes depending on which author you talk to, but his most famous story is how he cheated death. When death came to collect him, he chained death up so that for many years, no one died. <laughs> it wasn't until <laughs> Ares came up. I mean, some versions, he, he chains Hades up and others, it's Tantalus. Mm. Tantos? Not... To Thanatos. Thanatos, that's who it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Ares comes up because he's like, killing people in battle is not as satisfying if they don't die. <laughs> <laughs> so then he helps death escape and people start dying again. When Sisyphus finally does die, right before, he tells his wife, he's like, I, this is a test to prove how much you love me. Um, you cannot, no matter how much you want to perform a proper burial and like all the rituals that you're supposed to and you should leave my body to rot when I die so that means when he gets to the underworld he can't rock cross the river Styx he then goes to Persephone and complains about his annoying and disobedient wife <laughs> who did this to him and Persephone's like I cannot believe that and she allows him to go back to the mortal world to go yell at his wife to go do a proper job burying and instead he just goes and refuses to come back <laughs> which is hilarious yeah. finally Hermes forcibly drags the man back and Hades punishment for him is to roll a boulder up a hill every day and it rolls back down at the end of the day mm. Just, like, work, am I right? <laughs> capitalism. Oh. It's all a, an analogy for capitalism. Amazing. So they, they head on up to Sisyphus. Talia is like, yo, I'll move your stupid rock for you if you'll just answer Percy and Nico's questions. And so Sisyphus reveals that an angry young man had been there previously asking for advice. And they know that Percy's like, this is the thief. This is it. And notably, he confirms that the thief had an eye patch because Percy's immediately like, did he have an eye patch? Because <laughs> Percy's like, I know who it is. It's it's Ethan. So the no, it's it's Ethan, the notorious lackey of Crook. Sisyphus had instructed the man to talk to Malinoe, which is, you know, confirmed by Google how to pronounce it. And so Nico leads them to Malinoe's cave. And my brain really wants to say Melano, so this is going to be difficult, but... Okay, so tell me a little bit about who she is in mythology. This is a nymph who represents the bringer of nightmare and madness. Her story is really weird, and there's not much on her. At the same time, it's like so much analysis because it's such a freaking uncomfortable story. She's thought to be the daughter of Persephone, fathered either oh. by Hades or Zeus or Hades and Zeus or what one of the hmm. other and i was like isn't zeus her father i mean Hades wait is oh my gosh uncle. is she your sister 
<laughs> the bringer of nightmare and madness. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> There's literally one poem, which is where she's based off of, that they have, and that's where they've kind of discovered about. It. So the idea is not that. And I was like, okay, incest is kind of uncomfortable in this situation, but the the analysis is basically that it's like not about the incest. I guess I don't know. It's like it it does it wikipedia her it's very interesting but um the nymph is born out of persephone's anger at the situation because she's like not only is she in the underworld she doesn't get to see her mom she doesn't get to see the day she's pregnated and she has this baby that's just like the in in the rage of her anger that this has happened this bringer of nightmare and madness is born Nice. This is um, my sister. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to meet you. (laughs) So on their way to her cave, they're met by the Charis, which are battlefield spirits that feed on violent deaths. These are humanoid females that are part bat and have pug-nosed faces. Nico just tells them to stay back, which he can do because he's son of Hades, and they sneer at him and tell him that soon Hades will be defeated, and their new master will let them do whatever they want. Their new master, who they mention by name, the Titan Iapetus. So they start fighting them, they defeat the Caries, but Percy gets a pretty bad injury, one that Nico worries about because the Caries are spirits of disease and pestilence as well as violence. He says that Percy is going to need a god's help, but they don't have time for that, so they like have some nectar and try to move on. Percy brings up Iapetus and Talia, who apparently knows a lot about Titans. I don't know what she learned when she was a tree. It gives us a history lesson. So Iapetus is the brother of Kronos, father of Atlas, Titan of the West. He's known as the Piercer because he likes a good stabbing, and he's been in Tartarus. <laughs> Clearly Kronos is wanting that blade so that he can bring Iapetus back and get those carries to work on his side, and rule the underworld. And, like, they're, they're intuiting that the major plan is for Iapetus to replace Hades. Hades tries to keep a balance in the underworld and rein in the violent spirits, but if Kronos were to appoint Iapetus to lord of the underworld, things would go a little bit, a little bit bananas down there. So they continue on towards Melanoe, Percy in serious pain from his injury, and come upon the river Leith. Leith is the river of forgetfulness, and if one drop of that water gets on you, you forget who you are. So souls sometimes come to that river if they choose to be reborn so that they can start new. They can't find a way across the water, but Percy's like, well, it's water. I got this. Doesn't really think much about it. He's like, I'm doing it. We gotta do this. He focuses on the current and parts the sea, so to speak, and creates a tunnel for them to walk through underneath the water. It takes a ton of concentration, and Percy is sick from his cut. He stumbles after the other two make it to the other side, and the water crashes down upon him, but not before he has time for one final thought. Dry. Luckily, he manages to stay dry and not get a drop on him, and climbs out of the river with his memory intact. Just, like, really lucky for him. They make it to Malinoe's cave. She is a tall woman with disheveled hair wearing a pink bathrobe and and a wine glass in hand. So, like... The evil wine moth. <laughs> Talia stares at her and says, Mother? Melanoe, as Talia's mom, blames Talia for her death and for running away. Nico steps forward and the ghost then changes form and becomes his mom. Percy, being the only one without mommy issues, steps in and interrupts and Melanoe drops the act. God bless Sally Jackson. 
Yeah, she's like, save the day. Mm. She's super ghosty looking and her eyes are black voids and she seems stumped by Percy. She says, where are your ghosts? And Percy says that he's made peace with them, which I'm like, that's... No, that's not true. I don't fact. think that's true, but okay, Percy. <laughs> um, and then he slashes at her. She tells them that it's too late and that Kronos will rule the world and she'll be able to walk free among mortals and let all the ghosties roam free with her. And to which I'm like, bring it. I love a ghost. That's <laughs> so what a white woman responds. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> First person in the horror movie to investigate what the noise is coming from. I'm like, come here, ghostie. <laughs> come here, little ghost. She tells Percy that soon he will have many ghosts and then she disappears and they're all left shaken up, which I think is like a fun way to leave a room to just say to someone like, soon you'll have many ghosts and then leave. <laughs> it's haunting. Say that Happy like Halloween. after and like a fun game night with your friends. <laughs> yeah. Just look pointedly at one person who you don't know very well. <laughs> and say, like your friend's boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And say it quietly so no one else hears. <laughs> and no one will believe you. Exactly. It's great. So Ethan, they turn around and Ethan is standing there at the entrance to the cave with his with the sword of Hades in his hand, accompanied by Iapetus the Titan, who is wearing a giant prison jumpsuit because he escaped from Tartarus. Ethan suggests to the Titan that they flee with the sword. Are you laughing at the idea of a titan in a prison jumpsuit? <laughs> the idea that they put him in the jumpsuit and send him down to Do they have like a like a bunch of all different size jumpsuits for people or monsters going down? <laughs> yeah, all the monsters have to wear prison jumpsuits. <laughs> They're all like hanging in Hades' as like storage closet. <laughs> Ethan... I don't know why they're standing there for the dramatic entrance, but Ethan says to Iapetus, he's like, we should leave. We have the sword. But Iapetus is like, no, I want to fight. <laughs> and like, it's, you know, it's his funeral. Despite Percy's immense pain, he heads towards the river Leith and goes at Iapetus towards him. He wills himself to be dry and then drags Iapetus into the water and then drags him out. And Iapetus pulls a full Professor Lockhart. He's lost his memory and he's like, who am I? Where am I? It's very confused. And Percy tells him, Percy's like, oh, you're my friend. Uh, your name's Bob. And I have Bob, now Bob, is just like, oh, cool. And Ethan's like, crap. And they decide to let Ethan go free. Well, Percy decides it. I think Talia would have killed Ethan, to be honest. Yeah. And But they without the sword, obviously. Nika grabs the sword to take it back to Hades. So they return the blade to the forges. Hades is clearly really pissed at Persephone. And we learn that Persephone was actually the one who ordered the blade to be made without Hades knowing, which is why she orchestrated all of this, like getting the heroes there. Girl boss, am I right? <laughs> Just in case Hades like, gets his shit together and decides to fight. Yeah. yeah. I almost wonder if she wanted it for herself. Oh, 100% coming up into battle looking so badass yeah. and being like, actually, so I'm cool. the queen of the underworld now. Yeah. Yeah. My husband chose not to fight, so. Yeah. He's clearly weak. Goodbye. He's weakling. Nico, Talia, and Percy are all then like, well, that was weird. And they say goodbye. And Nico says that he'll watch over Bob, the now harmless Titan, and try to retrain him to do some good. 
He also says that he'll try and get closer to his dad and, like, convince him to fight in the war and such. Mm. Talia and Percy then go off to get some cheeseburgers. And it ends. <laughs> so then the, the story that's supposed to be short but was, like, 50 pages ended. Um, let me see. I think I've gone over a lot of notes. Uh, my One of them is that this weapon in the first place was a terrible idea. Like, if it can kill people with a single touch and it's so easily stolen. They stole it before it was even finished being made. Like, oh. Just, and, um, hmm. Oh, the t I liked Talia in this. I was like, this is kind of the Talia content I've been missing because since she became a huntress, mm -hmm. we just don't get a lot of Talia-Percy dynamics. And I enjoyed this pairing, this this trio. And I also really like the god of ghosts. I think she's cool. I like a ghost. Mm -hmm. That's all. Those are my thoughts on this very, very long, short story. It is crazy that, like, Bob is Atlas's dad. <laughs> He's just like, right? hanging out with your dad. <laughs> the general. And then so what? Atlas is Zoe's dad. Yeah. So Bob is Zoe's grandpa, grandpa Bob. Grandpa Bob. <laughs> and okay. isn't Atlas, like, Calypso's dad, too? Or was she, like, another Titan? No, she's child? Calypso's dad as well. Wow, Calypso could meet Bob sometime. Maybe if she it ever would be gets like off a family the reunion. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right, I have some lightning bolt questions for you. Okay. Have you ever okay. had anything stolen from you? <laughs> my heart just oh, my Ew. dignity. <laughs> <laughs> um honestly, I have never had, like, I feel like I've been lucky enough to not, I mean, even, like, living in the city for a bit, I never had, like, a car break in, knock on wood. I know. And I haven't had an apartment break in. Like, my sister stole clothes from me when I was a kid, but, like, I honestly <laughs> stole more clothes from her, I think, because she was afraid of me, so. That's the older sibling power, right? There. Yeah, yeah. I think I was just, like, so hormonal and angry as a teen. He didn't even want to go near my room. <laughs> have, have you had something stolen from you? I was at my grandma's house, and it was really creepy, honestly. Like, I now Ooh. thinking back to it, it was very scary. This was a very common occurrence, too. Like, we had, like, people just, like, break into our house all the time. Um, they had a dog for a bit. Uh, my grandma had a dog for a bit that was really aggressive, and then we didn't have anyone Aww. steal anything. It lived for a long time. It liked us, but obviously nobody else. Um, but that, like, it was, like, literally, like, a couple months after that dog died, um, she lived Aww. to be, like, oh, man, she lived to be, like, 14 or something. She was, like, there oh, wow. for a long, I had, yeah, I was, like, eight or nine, but I had the, the, what was it called? It was the, the Game Boy Advance, right? Mm, yeah, and I time. accidentally kept it next to the window in the middle of the night. My mom apparently woke up. And she looked in there. Someone's hand came through. We had, like, bars in the window, and we were on the first floor. Someone's hand came through and just grabbed a bunch of our stuff. No. And she the thought game it was a dream. I'm a, I was like, my Game Boy. She thought it was a dream, and she fell back asleep. And she <laughs> woke up, and all of our stuff was gone. She was like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. Did and you ever get another Game Boy? It was actually my cousins I was borrowing, so I gave her okay. my Game Boy because I felt very Aww. bad. Yeah. 
but Aww. I don't think I I don't think I got another one after that. I mean, like I got a DS like a couple years later. Mm-hmm. I wasn't yeah. someone who was super the upgrade to D, like a Game Boy in my life. Like it was fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think I only played Harvest Moon on my Game Boy. So <laughs> you know, I was like, I was Pokemon. That's all we really played. But mm-hmm. um, I also lot like my phone was stolen, and I watched on iCloud it like follow. Like I watched it walk away. You know, and I'm like, what am I gonna do? Confront yeah. this person? I'm gonna die. The one, the one that got away. The one I just watch just it. deleted it, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have another question, and in the moment, <laughs> I wow. have. It's, it's, have, uh, have you ever had um, a Maloney moment? How, what was it? Maloney? Mel- Mel- what was the name again? Malinoe. Malinoe. Have you ever had a Malinoe moment? And I said in the notes, I shall explain this better, and I cannot remember what oh, I meant. No. <laughs> what is it? A, a ghosty moment? Um, <laughs> what a could moment it possibly mean? Where you haunt people? I guess when you're like so you angry. Turn into someone's mom. <laughs> <laughs> what could this possibly mean? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> well. I've had potential ghost stories. <gasps> Let's do that instead. That's a fun one. I mean, it's kind of well. We're recording this right before Halloween, but it's coming out in November, so um, yeah. it's like a belated Halloween. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> um, what are my potential ghost stories? Well, I definitely think my old apartment was haunted, but in a, by a nice spirit, and that there was a. A fan and light thing that was in the living room and it would always randomly at really weird times the fan would go on to like high speed like higher than it was programmed to like I thought it was gonna fly off and the light would turn off and on and it stopped it happened a bunch when we like for the first like like six months we lived there and then it stopped happening as much once we got a dog and I think I well I colloquially referred to the spirit as Jocelyn I named her and I think it was a child that wanted a dog. That's my theory. That one's not that scary. But in college, in my dorm, I on the um, my freshman dorm in college on the like cord in our room. First of all, we move in on my side of the room on the corkboard. The word hell is carved into it really largely, and I was like, that's a good sign. And. <laughs> Then, like, weird things would happen, but it was only on my roommate's side of the room. Like, her posters would always fall off in the middle of the night, like, all the time to the point, like, she, like, had to take a lot of them down, but nothing ever. And we had the same exact, um, like, whiteboard thing hanging up, and hers always fell, and mine never did. And, like, her stuff, like, she always said, like, she felt like it was really spooky, And I never really got, like, I was like, it's weird that this is happening, but I never felt super spooked. So I think the ghost liked me and it had an issue with her for some reason. And then I met someone that I was in a club with that was like, oh, like, I used to live in that on that floor. What room are you? And then she like, we had shared the same room and she was like, it's haunted, right? And I was like, what do you mean? And she described like all the same issues happening with like things and they would have like books fly off the shelf and stuff. Oh but I think the ghost liked me. So it's okay. What does that say about you though? I don't know. I also think Jocelyn like was okay with me. I don't think she had it out for me. 
I'm interested. Does that mean like you're a really good person so even ghosts don't bother you? Or are you such a bad person that even <laughs> ghosts don't bother you? <laughs> I'm just like such a good person. Well, I think it's because I'm not like super scared of, I think they feed off of your fear. Like horses. I've always said like, yeah, just like horses. <laughs> <laughs> ghosts are like horses. <laughs> I've always... I will not explain. <laughs> no explanation needed. But I've always said, not always, I feel like I used to be as a kid more afraid of the idea of a ghost. I've always said that, like, I believe in something, like some kind of ghosty thing, but I'm not really scared of them. Like, I think humans are scarier than the paranormal, which is, like, dark and sad. Do you have a ghost story? (laughs) I personally don't, but, like, my cousin... Like, a lot of my cousins are very much... It's not even ghosts, I think. They all, like, very, very into, like, demon possessions. <laughs> so yes, for a casual me, demon. A casual possession. demon. But for me, so, like, I think horror movies where, like, there's, like, a psycho stalker or a murder is a lot scarier mm-hmm. than, like, the devil has possessed me. Part of my brain, I think, also is, like, yeah, let a demon try it and, like, possess me, like... I would love to be on autopilot. Like, take care of my... Like, do what you need to do. I'm so tired of this body right now. You know what I mean? You're like, do my taxes. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, you want to take... You want this so badly? Like, please. Not... There's not a lot going on. (laughs) But uh, my family is really into it. They're very genuinely afraid of it because my cousin says that she actually saw, like... When we, I don't know if she was like messing with me or whatever, but like when she was like a teenager or a little bit younger, she's much older than me. She saw someone who was possessed by what she says, like a, a, a demon or something like that. Cause she was like at the temple mm-hmm. and there was like an exorcism being casually performed there. Damn. And this person was like losing their mind. And I was like, did you take them to the hospital? And she's like, no, because, you know, like that kind of stuff. And she's like now very affected by it. So because, but then the opposite effect is because I grew up with her. I watched a lot of those paranormal movies because she found them so scary that I became very mm. numb to them to a point where mm-hmm. I was like, the conjuring wasn't scary. It's just your run of the mill possession story. And everyone looks at me like I'm insane. I'm like, yeah. Nice. It's like a I yeah. have a fun, the conjuring. I listen occasionally to this podcast called ghosted. Mm-hmm. It's um by a, a drag queen is like the host of it and she just like interviews random celebrities about their ghost stories but she had um it's like really fun like it doesn't actually scare me but it's like fun ghosty talk and even if not it's real it's just funny but she had um andrea perron on who was the one of the daughters from the conjuring house and that girl's stories are crazy. She said that they had to water down, like, what actually happened for the movie of The Conjuring. And, oh, like, shit. that it was way worse. So that's, like, a fun spooky thing, even though this episode's coming out on <laughs> Halloween. No more spook allowed. Only I think festivity. <laughs> it's also because there's so many rituals that we have to perform before we even move into a house. That, like, mm-hmm. it just doesn't, like, I'm like, oh, what kind of, like, at that point, if a spirit still lingers, they better start paying rent, you know? Like, they're there to mm-hmm. stay. For example, when yeah. you buy a new house, what you have to do um, is you boil a pot full of milk and you have to let it spill over because that's basically, mm. like, you know, saying that there should always be wealth and you have to perform all these rituals and you sage the place and you, like, all of mm-hmm. the stuff that they don't, like, they 
do after the fact in the movie, right? That we do before yeah. we move in because it's just been like blessing the house before you move in. So like I just like I'm like okay like oh demons move in my house like okay I guess <laughs> third roommate. <laughs> <laughs> my new roommate I know. like this is why white people always are in the haunting stories because they don't they just buy houses and don't do anything <laughs> this is a great move and it's also always about like a dad who never listens to his wife yeah being feral she's like i'm haunted and i'm stressed and i'm like you know eating my own feces and he's like yeah women are crazy i'm he's gonna like why don't you go to the doctor house. honey not yeah. even go to the doctor he's like how about you like you know why don't take we a nap about it you know like can you know <laughs> Never listens to the women in the house. <laughs> All right, last. I question. wish I knew what you meant by your by your original question. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. One day Who I'll knows? figure it out. I like sighed. I was like, "This is a good question. I won't. I don't have time. I don't have the energy to write it out." And I really wish I had. Ooh, that'll be fun to put on the Instagram. Yeah. Like, if people have ever, if they have if they've ever story? had a ghost story. Yeah. Okay, last question. If you were Persephone, what team would you assemble? Like, would you assemble the original? If you had three teams, like three people, and you wanted to find the sword, would you do this? Would you do a different um, uh, mashup of people? Ooh. Definitely Nico. Yeah. He's useful. Also, Percy proved really useful. I love Talia. I don't know that she was necessarily that useful, though. But... Like, I like her being there. Maybe Annabeth instead of Talia. Just to mix things up. For, just like to give them a little more guidance, you know? Yeah. But I honestly, I mean, it worked out for them. <laughs> it is interesting. I would have, it would be nice to have like Grover because he doesn't have Ooh. any mommy and daddy issues. So he doesn't have any ghosts. That's true. Especially because his true. main ghost was Talia and she's alive again. So like, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Annabeth would see Luke, her dad, her mom, oh, yeah, um, several other people. <laughs> oh, yeah. Annabeth would struggle there. Yeah. <laughs> Who would you pick? Would you keep the same team? I think I would. I like the the children of the big three. I think that's a really cool Me too. idea. Yeah, but maybe oh, I throw in fun. Grover instead of Talia. But you still also mm. need Talia to be the one pushing the boulder up the you know hill so but then it's all men and like <laughs> there's our girl, girl boss <laughs> i know that's true our token woman yeah yeah in our trio yeah all right so next episode i have finally created a fatal flaw quiz um i have gotten some i've sent it out to beta testers and um <laughs> beta testers <laughs> to two, my two friends and Aaron. yeah um and it's been really interesting to see their responses i don't know if it actually is their fatal fatal flaw but i've made seven categories and try to keep it simple and put it under an umbrella of those seven um mm -hmm. if it's not your fatal flaw i am sorry also if it is your fatal flaw i am sorry that's like very like exposing of you know of a quiz but um, I think we are going to take it together and discuss Fatal Flaw yeah. on our next um, little bonus episode that will happen about two weeks, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Two weeks from when this comes out. Yeah. We should have that out. It'll be like our early um, holiday gift to you. And yeah. Then, and then we'll start Heroes of Olympus in Jan the first week of January. Yeah. We've got a mm -hmm. lot of emails asking, either having opinions. It's so like... 
on either side of the spectrum. A lot of people are like, we're so excited for you to drag Jason. And the other side is people are like, please don't drag Jason. We know he sucks, but we like him a lot. Or, you know, we're tired of hearing the same narrative. And I've actually had a lot of great discussions with um, people who have emailed me or like even just like bringing Jason up to a couple of my friends who have read Percy Jackson in the past. And I think he's just such a nuanced character that I didn't think about because I was so mad that mm-hmm. he wasn't Percy. I'm excited to have those discussions with, with you. Yeah, get ready for us to continue using the word nuance no, a lot. <laughs> until we find a better word, it is our SAT word. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Camp Half Pod. Keep emailing us, camphalfpod at gmail.com. I love them, and sometimes I'll go on responding sprees at 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Rate and review us as well on Apple Podcasts so that we can attract more listeners. Thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>